there are different ways how uh, different scientists explain uh, hypnosis. I mean, I guess one of them is that hypnosis is an altered state of consciousness, and that's a um, that's a basis of the explanation. It's very different from your normal awakening state, and you go into a um, Basically, you create an inner world, an inner reality, which has nothing to do with uh, the outside reality. So one, according to one definition, it, it's an altered state. There are other researchers who believe that hypnosis is nothing else but a goal-oriented behavior by which the person who is hypnotized want to be hypnotized, therefore, we produce those behaviors which are considered hypnotic, namely the um, hypnotic, uh, just some of them, the hypnotic amnesia, the um, um, hypnologic, um, the changed um, time perception, uh, time distortion, um, some kind of motor behavior which people usually produce in hypnosis, etc., etc. Um, according to other definitions, they uh, bring in the interaction between the, the hypnotherapist and, and the client. So uh, the definition then goes that it is like a structured communication process between the hypnotist and the, um, and the client. And it's nothing else but that, like it's not an altered state of consciousness. Like the main split between different definitions are whether hypnosis is considered an altered state or it's not. Well, clinical hypnotherapy would be a, a psychotherapy method by which the, uh, the clinician used the hypnotic state the hypnotic phenomena as an avenue, as a channel to go in and help the, the healing process. What occurs in clinical hypnotherapy is the hypnotic state is used for healing. The hypnotic state can be used for all sorts of purposes, but in clinical hypnotherapy we create or induce a hypnotic state which is then um, used as the channel of, of healing and restructuring. Um, happening in this area to figure out what really hypnotizability is and what it depends on. Um, the so-called absorption characteristic is seem, seem to be important. Like how one factor you can predict kind of, whether someone is hypnotizable, is how well they can be absorbed in a book or a movie or in music. So how, how much are they able to really go into something so that the world stops around them? That's one thing. Other thing which you notice that people who are usually flexible in their thinking, um, not, you know, the left and right hemisphere dominance, like it's not, not about dominance, but the people who tend to be more or sometimes at least more right um, hemisphere-oriented and more flexible, create, more creative, are better 
in hypnosis and they can hypnotize themselves or allow a hypnotic process occur more than people who are very highly structured, very kind of critical, very head-oriented and rigid about that. They usually more difficult to hypnotize or you really have to choose your induction method very well. Obviously trust matters a lot, whether they trust the hypnotist, what the environment is like, whether you know, people can allow themselves to go into a, a process, how safe they feel. Children, as a general rule, are very easy to hypnotize because they're very close to that state where you spend your life in hypnosis and it's, it's a trance, like if you, they start playing, then nothing else exists. They are in a hypnotic trance. So children are very easy to hypnotize. Later with age, after a certain age, it doesn't change, like if you are, let's say, highly hypnotizable by the age of um, 10, 12 or, or after, then you stay like that. So with age, it doesn't diminish your hypnotizability level. How do you know somebody is under a hypnotic state? You don't know. Okay. It's a very easy question to ask because nobody knows. There were several experiments done with the world best known and best respected hypnotist and they're unable to actually say when they're uh, hypnotizing someone or even as an audience uh, whether somebody is in a hypnotic trance or faking it, you never know. I mean there are certain very rough signs you go after but if someone is really good you don't know. The, the most important variable would be how hypnotizable the person is. If the person is highly hypnotizable, then one session of hypnosis can achieve the goal, namely that he's going to be um, sleeping the, the day after, <laughs> and the insomnia disappears. If, as the majority of us, the person belongs to the middle range, then it can take uh, one to ten sessions of hypnosis um, to achieve that, like it's a teaching process then. Um, if the person is low hypnotizable, uh, belongs to the low hypnotizable group, then I wouldn't use hypnosis for insomnia, I would use some other methods. So it depends on how hypnotizable they are, it depends on how the, the symptom they, um, they want to want relief from, how long has the symptom been there, how intensive it is, how severe it is, um, how they relate to hypnosis, how they relate to me, um, what is my relationship uh, to them, uh, other resistances or other helpful factors in their life. Um, and basically you're asking the question, um, which nobody really knows the answer to, namely that when does anything in psychotherapy work and when it doesn't and how fast it works and, uh, and unfortunately we don't really know. Well, what we did, uh, the first part of the hypnotic process was the so-called 
hypnotic induction procedure. And I, uh, what I used was a very, the, the classical, most, uh, the simplest way is the so-called eye-gazing method, when the person just chooses a focus and looks at that spot, and so the, um, the focus of the attention narrows in. And that's probably why it is effective, because it starts with a narrowing of attention. Also, a, a channel is established between me and him, uh, so he keeps contact with the, with, the, uh, voice, with the sound of my voice, but his attention is more and more narrow. So the outside gets less and less important. And uh, also aiding that whole process with a, a simple relaxation, which is not necessary for hypnotic trance, but um, in that instance, I, I, I thought it was a good idea to make him feel relaxed and have this kind of traveling inward process more. And then the second phase is the deepening phase like you have your, your initial induction, and his eyes closed, so um, you know, his body was relaxed. And then with the deepening process was with music. And then you use kind of lovely imagery to send the music, picks up your mind, and send it to a nice place where it can relax. So it's a bit like we did a dissociation between a more superficial level of the mind and the deeper level of the mind, where the defenses are not working and it's more open to taking a suggestion close, um, closer to the state where it's almost like you work in the raw material. So that was this, uh, uh, the deepening phase. And then when the deepening phase is over, I, I asked him, I started communicating with the finger methods, with the subco subconscious, first just to let me know, so I'm in communication with him and he doesn't have to talk. I could have chosen verbal method, but again, the ver verbal communication is closer to a normal conscious level, so I like to choose something else. Sometimes you have to talk, because if, if let's say, if someone is in the middle of a traumatic experience, I like to know what's happening. But this time it was okay. It's called the idiomotor signaling method, when you establish a link between um, your normal communication, the verbal level, and a body signal. And I could have chosen other body signals. That was just handy, and I have worked with him before with finger signal, so it's already established. And um, so that's an easy way to talk to the subconscious, to talk to deeper regions. And the only um, thing which we needed to do in this hypnosis was really just facilitate that process he's going through. So we didn't have to do actual more work on the grief rather than just make the grief process go nicely and, you know, possibly not too much resistance and not too much explosive material. Um, and so that was the, the actual work part of the hypnosis. It's like the hypnotic state is connecting now 
better and stronger to his normal life existence. He can always get this paper and have a good feeling knowing that, you know, deep down in the deepest regions of his mind, he is being helped and he's got this healthy core and is helping him. And I use the hypnotic writing for that purpose, like having a little reminder, a little message in a concrete form, not only in a mind level. You can use hypnotic writing for a variety of other purposes, like um, you can, if you do a childhood regression, for instance, then you can ask the little boy or the little girl to write you a letter and tell you what, you know, what are the worst things which happened to him, or um, you can get them to draw something in, in that state. So it, it, you can use it for all sorts of purposes. I used it now just to have that link. Um, and then, so the next stage is when you're actually bringing the person out, and, um, and you really have to do that well. I mean, you have to do the rest uh, of the process well, but maybe you you can make mistakes in this, in this phase more than you, you can in the, the previous phase. And you have to make sure that the person is going to feel okay after they come out. Sometimes there can be some residual drowsiness or headache. The post-hypnotic headache is a well-known phenomenon, so I make sure that he's going to feel okay, refreshed. I really had to make sure that this split between the subconscious and conscious mind is not going to be staying with him. Uh, so I have to make sure that he's back to normal, that he's not dissociated but fully integrated. So he needs obviously both levels of functioning in his everyday life. So I don't want him to walk out of here without his conscious mind. <laughs> so you make sure that that reintegration happens. You make sure that you are gentle, you don't kind of explode them out of hypnosis, but you, you're gentle, you make sure uh, that they are going to be out of hypnosis by the end, uh, and there's not going to be any part of them which is still kind of hanging around. And then slowly, slowly, I use the counting back method. Again, there are millions of other you could use. Um, I could have just said that your, um, you know, the music brings your subconscious mind back, and now you notice where you are, who you are, and when I say you are out, you are out. I mean, it's not a very necessary step, but it's just one method. Um, I got him to open his eyes at number three when I was counting back, because again, it's a more gentle way. Like first his eyes open. First I got him to feel his body on the chair, be aware of noises. Like it all be bringing him back in a more gradual, gentle way, more grounded way. And then by the number one, uh, he was out. And again I said, you're out of hypnosis, fully aware and awake and back to your normal consciousness. In that bringing back phase, I also made sure that his fingers feel normal. 
because if you are highly hypnotizable and in hypnosis someone is suggesting that your finger lifts up easily when you say yes and, and, and maybe it feels lighter. I mean, I didn't do much of that with him because he's, he's already been there many times, but with a new subject, if I have a new person, then I would even touch their finger and make sure that, um, that it feels different, that it feels lighter if they think yes. And so there is going to be a link between the finger and, and, and the yes answer. So when you bring them out, you make sure that they hand feel normal. They don't feel numb, they don't feel tingly, there is no signs of hypnosis left. So you undo the hypnotic suggestion before you bring them up. I help with pain management quite a bit with uh, back pain uh, and I used hypnosis uh, uh, as a tool to achieve changes in the actual structure of the muscle or the actual um, body functioning around pain. I also used hypnosis with pain management in a way when there is chronic pain, then the person can live with the pain better, like that there is a process of dissociation maybe from the pain if it is um, helping because sometimes you need to know your pain and it's not helping if you don't experience pain. I uh, work a lot with trauma and I used uh, quite a bit of hypnosis with um, Vietnam veterans in, um, with war trauma issues. I also worked with incest survivors, women who had really difficult childhood trauma around incest. Um, I have used hypnosis as a stress management method. Um, often hypnosis is a part of everything I do, like often I teach people to do self-hypnosis and they can use different stress management techniques or anxiety management techniques. I used hypnosis with panic attacks, um, you know, when people have different um, difficult body symptoms in the middle of the shopping center, let's say, and they need some tools which they can apply there and then. Um, I guess they could keep themselves in a state to avoid the panic. Yes, they can prevent panic when, when it starts. When panic is, has set in, it's very difficult to do anything because they feel helpless then, but they learn to recognize the first signs of the panic response and then they can do a lot. Even with the anticipation process of the panic, it, uh, you know, often the problem is that they anticipate and the, the anxiety is really about anticipating that the panic can occur and you can work a lot with hypnosis around the anticipatory anxiety. Well, I guess there are many precautions. The hypnotherapist really have to know what he or she is doing. Um, often in hypnosis, there are spontaneous abreactions called um, when you know people just come up often in the first session of hypnosis with something which have they, uh, an issue which have been buried and repressed for a long, long time 
and now that they relax and now that they given the permission, so-called, to look at that issue, it will explode almost out of them. There, there are uh, accounts of, you know, people manifesting multiple personality disorder in the first hypnotic session, for instance. So if, I mean, there are a number of things which can occur in hypnosis. I mean, you are dealing with people's deepest or deeper level of emotional reality. And, well, and anything can happen, anything can come up. And if you are not trained and if you don't know um, about psychopathology, then don't touch anyone. I mean, it, it just, you really have to know what to do just about in every situation which can occur because things can, can come up. So you have to be really trained in hypnosis and you have to be um, trained in dealing with human beings in general who have that fear. That's why it's so important that before you start hypnosis, you discuss what hypnosis is and you choose the right induction method. Like with somebody who's afraid of losing control, I'm not, I'm not going to use any direct demands in my suggestions, but I will emphasize that they are in control. They will only take in what they want to take in from my suggestions. I will use much more indirect um, methods in, in my wording. Uh, I will assure them that they will never lose control because the truth of the matter is that in hypnosis, they don't lose control if they don't want to lose control. Uh, they know throughout the whole process what is happening. They well aware of what they say and what I say. Um, they don't do things they don't want to do. I can't get them to um, be an instrument of my will and do all sorts of things they would otherwise oppose to do. So there is no losing control process in hypnosis. Um, the actual application of hypnosis where maybe the medical community would clash with non-medical community because they obviously want to um, keep the, the method for you know, traditionally accepted and, and sort of safer areas. Like they wouldn't go into past life therapy and all, all that. Um, or more esoteric applications, but as far as you know, a GP's practice is concerned, or even psychologically, you know, scientifically accepted areas like anxiety management, etc., hypnosis is very received and, and and accepted as a valid method in terms of the belief people have about hypnosis. Uh, Hopefully, people will understand more and more about, you know, that hypnotic phenomenon is just something which happens to all of us, and we can all induce it ourselves. So it takes out the eerie fairy uh, um, sort of connotation of hypnosis. Um, takes it takes 
that out of, uh, of the whole uh, area. And I think that it's always going to be uh, used as a very effective tool for a quick and powerful impact on, on, um, on our emotional or physical life. 